Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope all is well in your world. I've been hearing that this Samhain season has been especially spicy this year, which is not at all surprising to me, considering all the major transitions that we've been going through. I don't know what it is about spooky season this year, but for me, it's been extremely heavy-handed with the shadow work. But I found, as someone with chronic pain, there's a lot to be learned from both physical and mental pain, even if it's excruciating at times. I know this is going to sound annoying to some people, and it sounds annoying to me, especially when I'm in a lot of pain. I don't want to hear this, but there is some wisdom in pain. Some of you know I've spent hundreds of hours in deep-seated Buddhist meditation, Vipassana specifically, and that kind of meditation really teaches you about the wisdom that resides within pain. But it's super easy to forget the lessons that pain has for us and just throw a fucking fit, which is also something I have done more than once this Samhain season. Full disclosure. But pain is contrast, and contrast is the place where we grow and evolve annoyingly on planet Earth. And there is a meditative trick that I forget all the damn time, but I know from firsthand experience that it works. And that is that when you are in physical and or mental pain, instead of resisting that pain, you investigate it from a place of equanimity or non-reaction. Now, for those of you who also have chronic pain, you're probably like, shut the fuck up, Fen. You do not know what you are talking about. And I will take that. I don't even always want to hear what I am saying right now. It is extremely difficult to ignore pain when we are so closely identified to our bodies. It can feel freaking impossible. So just take it as food for thought, observation over resistance to the pain, especially if you're going through some deep shadow work right now, can be really helpful through that process. Really, though, I have had incredible spiritual epiphanies in long meditation courses where I was sitting in horrible physical pain, but I felt joyful, like the actual feeling of calm, centered joy because I had disidentified from the pain and essentially my body, but not in a dissociative way. And I had a glimpse of understanding that the pain in that exact form was temporary. And that knowing turned into a wisdom for a split fucking second, let's be real. Or maybe it was a few minutes, but it wasn't very long. I guess I'm just telling you this so that you know, first, if you're having a tough shadow worky Samhain, it's temporary. We will get through this. Second, you're not alone. Third, this is just a little reminder that it is possible to cultivate a healthy relationship with pain so that it doesn't turn into suffering. I'm not saying I do it all the time or even the majority of the time. I'm not saying it's easy, but I do know it's possible because I've done it before. Maybe someday we'll evolve to a point where everybody will be able to understand that super easily. Thank you very much for listening to my TED Talk. Okay, on to my kick-ass guest, John Russell. John was on the show a few months ago. He was on episode 25, and we talked about so many awesome things that time around that I knew I wanted to have him back on the show. John has been a professional psychic for 50 years. 
He's also a medium, certified tarot master, paranormal investigator, and published author. He's a popular featured guest on many, many shows, including Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I know, so awesome. On top of all of that, he's just an incredibly kind, funny, warm, and honest human being. He's one of those crossover types that can really dig into any topic in the land of Wu and hold his own there, which is more uncommon than you may think. We talk about a gajillion things, and in the spirit of Samhain or Halloween, I decided this episode I'd hit him sort of rapid fire with pretty much all of the major Wu topics. I've been getting a lot of questions about these different areas and thought it would be fun and illuminating to hear John's opinions and potential experiences regarding each topic. We cover the fae or fairies, vampires, witches, cryptids, aliens, demons, poltergeists, ghosts, necromancy, and more. We also talk about some weird woo-ness that happened to him when he recently moved, his thoughts on the thinning veil during spooky season, finding the radio frequency that ghosts speak in, and an extremely horrifying moment that he had in a horse barn. Speaking of the horse barn, I do want to give you a trigger warning here about that part. When you hear him first say the words horse barn, just know that that story that he tells does include animal abuse. It's not super detailed, but if that's something that you're particularly sensitive to, you may just want to fast forward through that part. It's only a couple minutes long. We end this epic conversation with him giving a psychic pep talk that I needed, so I imagine some of you will need it too. He's got great advice on taking care of yourself as not only a practitioner, but also just a regular human trying to navigate the weirdness of this world. Another note here, his adorable dog, Bugsy, gets a little vocal during the conversation, and we did our best to mitigate that, but you'll still hear him a bit here and there. Just think of them as love barks, okay? Last note, if you love Follow the Woo and you want to help support this podcast and get more content, the best way is to become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash follow the woo. And when you sign up, you'll get an official order of woo invitation sent to your home and access to a bunch of other witchy woo goodies. All right. Okay. Enjoy this spooky conversation with John Russell. <laughs> I would like to talk to you a little bit about, well, first thing is, what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you since the last time we spoke? Oh, the weirdest thing since the last time we spoke is, you know, we moved. I'm 67 now. I've been around the block a few times. The old lady's 65, so we're old folk. We, we get tired <laughs> out pretty easy, you know. So we got her son and his girlfriend to help us to move. A couple of the weirdest things that have happened, and it's it's really been phenomenal as well as weird, is that our son was helping me in my old office, and we were packing up certain things, and I was like, okay, I have to have this right now in the new office. So we were putting things together and putting them in a box, labeling the box, sealing the box, and then putting it out to tape, right? So my wife was working with his girlfriend, and they were working together and they were putting things together and packing things and labeling them in, in different boxes and putting them there to take. So we got stuff over here and we're like storing it in the garage and going through it a little at a time and getting everything together. And I had my office pretty well functioning, but there were a few things that I absolutely critically needed. 
And I said, guys, I said, listen, I, I really would appreciate it if you would lead me to these items because I really, really need them for my work. And if you can just show me what box they're in, I would really appreciate it. And now remember, these are boxes that my son and I had packed together. And so I go out into the garage and I'm led to this box that my wife packed and her handwriting's on it. And it says, John's shoes and something else and, and this, something, the other. And I'm like, well, why would you leave me here? And I had the urge to open up the box. So I opened up the box and in that box and her handwriting that she packed were the items that my son and I packed in a separate box and sealed that I needed for my office. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally took the items from one seal box and transmitted them to another seal box and led me to find them. And that was the quickest way for me to get them because we had so many boxes, you know, buried and stuff in there. And uh, and those were the exact items that I needed. But they and they were packed in a container that I had put them in in the original box when my son and I had packed them. And that container containing those items now appeared in that other box that my wife had packed and sealed. And we've had a few more instances of that happen where I would pack things, they would show up in a box she packed, she would pack things that would show up in a box I packed. So <laughs> I feel like, what do you call them? Your guys, your guys, yeah. right? Like G yeah, my guys, yeah. U-Y-S, but they're your guides. Like right. they guide you. I feel like they're just fucking with you. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what if we just put this over there? They're getting kind of old. Maybe they'll yeah, think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, let's let's show them we moved along. You know, let's show them <laughs> so so that's happened several times now. And it's it's been really neat. It's been really cool. So well, speaking of moving, the last time we spoke, we had a conversation that wasn't in the episode. You had just emailed me telling me that you thought I was going to move. Right, and right. I had talked to a number of mediums around that same time, and they all had different places that I was going to go. And right. you were accurate. You were the only one that was accurate. There you go. There Which you I, want, I want the listeners to know that. And I just said to my partner the other night, I said, you know what, John? John was the one who was... John nailed it, yeah. He nailed it, yeah. <laughs> that's no braggadocio for me and, and not patting myself on the back. That's the guys. That's the information I get. That just validates that what I get from the other side is accurate and works for people. Because, look, you know, this this isn't me. I mean, I may have the gift to connect, but I feel like I'm kind of like you're the, the recipient I'm the plug and the transformer, and then I plug into the other side. So I'm kind of like the conduit, I guess, in essence. And, you know, I may have some intrinsic input or knowledge or whatever in there, but the vast majority of it comes from the guys on the other side that give that to me. And I always tell my clients, I'll say, look, I don't give you my personal opinion or my input or my bias or my preferences in a reading. I give you what the other side gives me, and that's it. I give it to you just like they give it to me. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to put my spin on it or my take on it or I think you should do this instead of that. I don't do that. I decide, you know, whatever the other side gives me for you, that's what I do. But like you say, it does turn out to be accurate. And I had these clients one time, a really delightful pair of ladies. They told me one time, they said, we will sit there when we're really faced with something that we really do need psychic input on. And we'll go now, everybody that we know, who will tell us the truth? 
not what we want to hear, but the truth. And they would both look at each other and go, John. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been the hallmark of it all the way through is the accuracy and the truth and everything. And and again, that, that comes from the other side. I'm just privileged to be able to partake in that. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but there is that huge problem with psychics and mediums where they don't know when to say, I don't know. Right. And so they just kind of embellish and it's no longer the the guys or their guides working through them. It's just them sort of saying, well, shit, I don't want to have anything to say. So they just kind of make stuff up. Exactly. And you've exactly. said from the beginning, that's just never your style. No, never, never, never. And it's like, if I don't pick up something or don't know something, I'll tell you that, you know, I'll say, I'm not getting that right now, or I don't know right now. And there's nothing wrong with that because look, we're not God, you know, <laughs> I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't have the, the handle on, on everything or the answer for everything. And uh, for whatever reason, the other side chooses to sometimes withhold bits and pieces of things. I remember very dramatic incidents in my life with my clients, for example. This one client I had, a really dear client, really dear lady, and she was my client for, I guess, oh gosh, maybe like a decade or so. And her parents called me one day. They asked me who I was. And I I said, well, I said, who is this? Why do you want to know? And they said, well, we're so-and-so's parents and we found your name and number among her effects. And I said, effects, what do you mean? And she had died. And so they had found my name and number. They were just calling people and, and informing them and, and they were finding out who I was. And I said, well, I was her, her spiritual confidant or spiritual guide or whatever. And so we got to talking and she had become ill very shortly after our last reading and had died. And in that last reading, now the guys could have told me, you know, said, hey, John, she's fixing to check out here, prepare yourself for this or help prepare her for this. And they could have done that. But instead of doing that, they just told me repeatedly to tell her over and over and over for the next month, everything that you really enjoy, everything that you love doing, everything that brings you pleasure, do it repeatedly, do it over and over again, do everything enjoy everything repeatedly. And they kept repeating that to me to tell her. And I told her several times during the reading. Well, the reason for that was she enjoyed all those things then before she checked out and went to the other side. Now, why did they choose to do it that way? I don't know. I don't have any vague idea, but I I do what the guys tell me. And, you know, sometimes it's a curse. Sometimes it's a blessing, but, uh, you know, we just, we don't know. We don't have all the answers and, they see further down the road than we do. They have different mindsets than we do. And so perhaps they know things from a little different perspective or a little different angle. And there's different reasons for either revealing something at a certain time or not at a certain time. And I know in the past, there have been clients that the guys have told me, say, hey, tell them their dad's going to die in a few months and to, to spend as much time with them as you can. And sometimes it was just that direct. And then other times they would lead me to be a little more tactful with the information but it's like all these times that they did that why couldn't they have done it then i I have no clue i have no idea and i had no inkling i was so shocked when i found out that she had crossed over i was like what it was just just mind-blowing yeah that seems to be a reoccurring theme too with the other side or or people who communicate with the guides or whatever they Mm -hmm. call it everybody has a different term for it but the one thing is 
the mantra that I kind of hear all the time is you don't get what you want, you get what you need. What you need. You know, what that girl needed was to hear, maybe she would have panicked that last month before her death and she would have been in a horrible place for that last month or you can't even think about it too long because you just you have can, no clue. It, just, it, it messes your mind up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it does. You get like we're really weird up there. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, over the years, it's just been a process. I've just had to come to the point that I learned to trust the other side and I take whatever information they give me. And sometimes I wish it was different or that it was a lot more or more in depth or sometimes not as in depth. But <laughs> I've learned to trust it over the years. It's been accurate. It's been helpful for me. It's been helpful to other people. So just to remind the listeners, John, you had your first experience with basically an apparition or would you call it a ghost when you you were around? And ever since then, it's just sort of been this unfolding for you. And it kind of got really jazzy preteen into teens, right? If I remember correctly. And that's when you, your gifts really started to to you started really to cultivate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I discovered that I had my psychic ability around six after I had the experience with the ghost. Then all of these paranormal manifestations unfolded and my gifts continued to to develop. Then around my teen years, around the age of 12, that's when I really got into paranormal investigation, paranormal research, because the other side would lead me into situations. I, and I had good perception even as a kid. And I chalked that up to my psychic gift. But the other side would lead me into situations where I would see adults doing things that revealed their true selves or what they really thought or what they really felt or whatever. And I would catch them in these private moments where they thought they were guarded and and nobody knew what was going on. And I would catch them and it was like, uh aha. And so I began to see that in religion and the church and our prayer groups and our spiritual circles, There was all these phonies and frauds and con artists and people that were self-deluded and people that deluded others and these huge egos that wanted the spotlight on themselves. And I said, okay, this is not right. You know, this is not how this should be. This is not how this should work. So I began to investigate that and I began to want to try and weed that out in my own life and to teach others to weed that out, to be aware of that and to, to avoid it in their lives. And then the outright phonies and frauds and con artists, I began to see that. And it was like, okay, this has to be called out. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to call it for what it is and you have to expose it. And you have to explain to people that, look, uh, you can go to so-and-so and and pay $3,000 or $5,000 or whatever. It's no guarantee you're going to see a UFO. (laughs) Yeah. My experience with the other side, I told my TV producer one time, I said, you can't make an appointment with a UFO. No, you nope. cannot. <laughs> Things don't show up when we want them to. They don't behave how we want them to. And for all of these fantastic experiences I've had in my own life, and the other side has literally saved my life, literally, several times. And for all of that, I've also been left dangling over the precipice like, hey, John, mm-hmm. look at this, look at this. And I'm like, oh, my God, would you please? And just go through this excruciating agony until things are finally resolved. And I'm like, guys. <laughs> why you why know? why because they can <laughs> dissolve it just like that and they don't so maybe life lessons to learn who knows so anyways but yeah around the uh, around my teen years things really begin to ramp up and i begin to explore all of that and then i begin to do readings mostly for family and then for family and friends 
was reading pretty extensively by the age of 15. Then at 18, I started reading professionally then. And do you notice an uptick in bookings for your your readings around Halloween and Samhain? Not really. Things are pretty much level all year round. It was really bizarre. Like when 9-11 happened, everybody asked me, they said, oh, God, I bet your phone's ringing off the wall with people like, is this the end of the world? Is it the second coming? Is Jesus coming? Are we going to hell? Is the rapture occurring? What's happening? And I said, no. All of my clients, without exception, were, is my cheating boyfriend coming back? Am I going to get a better job? How's my health? And that was it. I mean, we've had the biggest cataclysm in this country since Pearl Harbor, and nobody gave a rat's ass. Nobody questioned it. Nobody cared. It was like nobody had any worry about, is this the end? You know, is this the end of time, the end of days? Will my cheating husband come back to me and be faithful? Will I get this job? How is my health? Well, I get a raise. And that was it. It was status quo. Business is normal. That kind of shocked me. That, that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, that is weird. That's funny that you say that because you you would imagine that there would be an uptick around that time. But I know that from all the psychics that I've spoken with, that that is like the most common thing that's asked is when's my cheating boyfriend going to come back or, exactly. you know, when am I going to find love? And we become yeah. very self-absorbed when it comes to to everything but i think when we get the space to be with the psychic it's really funny the questions that we ask (laughs) it's really right well i want to talk to you about halloween or Samhain, depending on what y'all call it so you live in this paranormal world you're doing the psychic stuff you're you're communicating with the other side all the time does it mean anything to you when halloween comes along and and people say that the veil is getting thinner does that impact your life it does, I think, from a, a celebratory aspect, because I like to celebrate the holidays the same as anyone else does. And a phenomenon that I've noticed over the years and that many people have pointed out before I uh, noticed it was that if you pay a large amount of attention to something, it pays attention back. So by virtue of people focusing on the holidays and building up this energy around the holidays, there's this energy there and this impact from the other side and this closeness from the other side that may not normally be there. So you try and take advantage of that. The veil does get a little bit thinner, I believe. That's something that we all try and practice and try and increase our communication during favorable times, Halloween being one of them. But that's why we all do what we do. You know, you go to church, you sing hymns and you pray and you or you chant and you do this and you do that. If you have a spiritualist group, you also sing hymns or you sing songs, you laugh. There's a lot of spiritualist groups that will laugh to raise the vibrations and try and contact spirit. And what we're all doing with whatever practice we do is trying to raise the vibration so that we connect with a higher energy so that we invoke that higher power to come down and communicate with us, heal us, bless us, guide us, whatever. And we all have our various means of doing that, but that's what we're all doing. And, uh, you know, the fact that we can all come together, whether it's for a holiday or in a church or in a coven meeting or whatever it is, the fact that we can get people together all focused on the same thing and use this method, use whatever method to raise the energy to connect with a higher power. That's what it's all about. And I think the holidays facilitate that a little bit. I think you're right. Yeah. And I was speaking with another guest about this, that that there are actual 
entities that have sure. appeared based off of people focusing on them so much. And that in itself was the literal impetus for that thing to come into into reality. Right. You know, I say reality, quote unquote, right, because it's sure. complex. Sure. But I think that's fascinating. And I'm curious, do you have any specific ritual or practice that you do every Samhain or, or Halloween just to sort of celebrate that thinning of the veil? Not specifically for Halloween, but I have a lot of things that I do all year round. For me, it's, it's Halloween every day, basically. <laughs> I try and do something, some type of ritualistic thing or magical thing to connect with the other side on a daily basis. So that's that's very important to me. It <laughs> disturbs me that we look at a particular holiday and then we decide to get religious or holy or spiritual or whatever. And the rest of the time, you know, F off and here we go. And <laughs> so it's it's like, look, this is something that you need to integrate into your daily life and practice constantly if you want to really become spiritual, if you want to make advancement, if you want to have this contact with the other side, it can't just be once a week at church or once a year at Halloween or, uh, you know, three times or four times a year during da 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 or whatever. It needs to be a daily occurrence, at least in some small measure. And so there are a lot of things that I do that I've learned that work for me over the years, magically and ritualistically and so on and so forth that rather than just being dogma or tradition or whatever, I do them because they actually work. They actually produce energy. They actually manifest results. They actually invoke the help from the other side that I need. I'm not a panacea, not a cure-all, but enough that it's provided impetus for me to continue. And there's plenty of reliable evidence that these things work. One of the most dramatic, and, and I've been talking about this, on, it's, it's just come up on a lot of podcasts lately, and it's something that I hadn't talked about in a long time. Now, this was a, a science documentary on TV. It wasn't a paranormal or psychic or supernatural documentary. It was a science documentary, the volcanic eruption and the volcano, uh, the lava was coming toward this village and toward these houses out in the countryside and everything, and like wiping out everything in its path. And so... This guy said, I won't have to evacuate my home. He said, I will take and I'll leave bottles of, of liquor at the four corners of my property in honor of Pele, the goddess of the volcano. And when Pele's lava comes, when Pele's energy and spirit's coming and the lava comes to my home, Pele will see my offering in honor of that my home will be spared. And of course, you know, the scientists and most of the other villagers and everything are like, you poor deluded idiot. Yeah. And so... <laughs> They had a camera set up out there. How and why, I don't know. I don't know if it was the homeowner's camera that he had on his house or, or what the situation was. But I remember there was a camera and they made him evacuate anyways. And the camera stayed rolling. And so here comes this river, this wide river of lava flowing toward his, his home. And as it hits the front of his property where the bottles of liquor are, the lava splits in half goes around the side of his property and flows down the side of his property and rejoins in the rear of his property and keeps flowing like that for a, a long period of time. And the scientists were like, <laughs> we have no clue. <laughs> we have absolutely no clue. And then in time, and it took a considerable while in time, the lava broke through and then finally destroyed his home. And he said, if you had not forced me to evacuate, I had more alcohol to offer Pele and I could have gone out and offered more and my home would have been spared because look what happened. 
she honored that offering. The lava split, went around my house, rejoined at the back. And the lava just kept flowing like a river. It kept flowing like that. And it split around the house, rejoined in the back. And it was a constant flow that way for this long period of time. And he said, look, if I had been there to still be able to offer to Pele, she would have completely spared my home. And the scientists were like, we just, we can, nope, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love it when that happens. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And, and so these things do work and they may not always work as we expect them or hope. And, you know, I would certainly tell someone if you haven't been spiritual, if you don't have a connection with the other side, don't grab some bottles of gin and run out to the nearest lava field and sit down and go, oh, I'm going to be spared. <laughs> I can stand here. The lava will flow around me. No, you're going to go up like a human torch more than likely because it, uh, as an example of that, I had a friend of mine, a client and a friend of mine, who wanted to try and experiment with some things uh, paranormally. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, he said, I, I I don't know how to do this. He said, it's confusing me more than it's helping me. And I said, yeah, unless you have a lot of study and a lot of experience and a lot of practice, it can it can be do more harm than good. It can, it can confuse you more than it can help you, as you found out. And so it's not something you can just jump in and do if you don't have the resources or the foundation or the knowledge for it. It takes training and it takes practice and it takes belief and it takes that experience with the other side. You know, people ask me, how do you know that you can rely on what you've been told? And I said, well, that's always panned out. It's always been the truth. We've always been able to validate it and verify it. And whatever the other side has done for me or told for me, it's been true. It's been accurate. We verified it and validated it. Uh, you know, they've saved my life physically many times uh, and through physical demonstrations. And so you you come to learn that, OK, I have this relationship that I've developed over the years and that I can rely on. But it doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a week or a month or probably not even in a year. It takes a long period of time to develop. But for those that have that belief system in place, some pretty marvelous things can happen. Yeah. And in the case with that, that guy who had a connection with Pele, his belief in Pele and his belief in the process of, of doing that practice right. was a huge part that people forget that you have to cultivate. If you're if there's a wavering in your belief, then yeah. the power of the thing, it don't work. And that's when what you're saying, like needing to have the time to cultivate, you've got to get to the point where that belief is steadfast. You know, for sure that if you put the liquor in each four corners of your house, there's no doubt Pele is yeah. not going to F with my shit. That's right. That's and right. that's that's the part. And what? but what would you say? Because you've said a couple of times now, you got to you got to practice. It takes time. It's not going to just take a couple of days. Right. What would you say to people who are just starting to get interested in the paranormal or the other side. And they're like, how do I even start talking to my guides? What do I do? What's the first step? What would you say? The easiest and the most direct and best way is just to get quiet and listen and talk to your guides out loud. Say, I know you're there. I know you hear me. And I want you to guide me and to help me grow spiritually and show me the next steps that I need to take personally to begin to evolve and to grow and to understand and to grow spiritually as much as I'm capable. What's the next step? What do I do? And then you listen for the intuition to come, the intuitive voice to come, or you look for the dream, the guidance of the dream, or you're around the corner of a bookstore and there's a book in the corner window and it screams at you and you know, oh, I've got to buy this book and it has information or guidance or help that you need. So that's what you're doing. And it's small steps 
you know, it's not going to be okay. I've never done anything. Now, guides, tomorrow I want to fly. You know, it, it, just, it just don't work that way. It's small steps. It's like when you meet someone for the first time, uh, you don't demand everything of their life that there is, and you don't reveal everything of your life that there is. It's a very small process of acquaintance, getting to know each other. Can I trust this person? Who is this person? Do they keep their word? How much do I want to reveal? Am I comfortable revealing that? What have they done with what I've revealed to them? So it's the same process with the other side. It's a period of acknowledging and learning each other, getting involved with these spiritual entities and guides and and angels and so on, and getting to know them, developing a working relationship with them, and then getting to the point where you know certain things happen, you know certain things are a fact. And then also accepting that sometimes the answer is no, or sometimes there's silence. And I always tell my clients, I say, when you get that period of silence, that's the most difficult time, but write it out and keep asking and keep listening every day, keep paying attention every day. And it may just be that you're in a holding pattern that they're like, wait, 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 wait. Now, sometimes things do have to fall into place and times have to be right for certain things. And they have to develop that way. And it takes a while to work those things out, even for the other side. So it's a long involved process. And it's a, you know, it disgusts me when people buy a deck of tarot cards and read it and read one book of the tarot. And, oh, I'm a a tarot reader now. I'm a psychic. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not even close. You haven't even made the first step yet. It's a process. It's a long process. It takes a long time. There's a, a lot to go through. There's a learning curve for everybody. And look, I've done this professionally for 50 years now. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still finding out things. I'm still pressing to make the gift even better, more accurate. I'm still pressing to connect with my guys on the other side in a better way, in a more helpful way, and trying to work through that, that veil that's there to, to say, okay, why can't we get answers here? Why can't we get help there? And pressing and working on that. And it's a lifelong process. I had a friend that kind of wanted to mimic what I had done my entire life. And it began to attract him some attention and it fed his ego. And that was the reason for his spiritual growth. And he began to think that he was this, oh, look at me, boy, I can do all kinds of stuff, you know, and he couldn't. A lot of people get into it because it feeds their ego or there's money involved somehow, or you get some of the attention that they crave. That's all the wrong reasons for it, because you're not going to have anything legitimate. If you do, it'll be taken away from you pretty quickly. People have always asked me, they said, well, you know, if you're psychic, why aren't you rich? And I said, because two things, I go to bed at night, I lay my head down and I go to sleep with a clear conscience because I have never, ever, ever screwed over my clients my entire life, not even once. And I know the guys intimately on the other side. And if I ever effed this thing up, they would put me through the torments of untold agony that I would beg for hell before it was all over with. (laughs) You know, it's like, John, you had it. It was the real deal. You knew it. Now you've screwed the pooch. Guess what, bud? (laughs) You're going to wish that Charlie Manson was your bedmate. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Yeah. I told the line and it's, uh, It's something I know better than to do. And you don't go into this to get rich. There are some psychics that have gotten rich. Uri Geller's gotten fabulously wealthy. And Uri Geller's the real deal. You know, we've talked about him before. But he uh, did it mostly from a business perspective in addition to 
his psychic thing. Like he's invented a lot of things and he's invested in a lot of things and he's had people come to him for investments and things of that nature. There was a well-documented incident that Pudoff and Targ talked about at Stanford Research Institute and it made the news and they talked about it extensively. They said, well, if we can remote view and be that accurate with things, can we remote view where the stock market's going tomorrow? And they did. And they made a killing. They made something like $100,000 or something like that. And then all of a sudden it dried up. It stopped. That's what they said. It just it just quit. And you know what that is. That's the other side going, hey, guys, enough. <laughs> you know, rather than tinker with the money, maybe how about use this power to figure out how to get the kids out of St. Jude. And I think that there's nothing wrong with making money. We all have to make a living. We all have to survive. But ultimately, our spiritual aim and goal in all of this should be how can we help our fellow man? How can we heal our fellow man? How can we heal some of the agony on this earth? And that's the ultimate calling and the ultimate purpose for spiritual gifts and spiritual power. Absolutely. But that is very quickly forgotten by most people in that, I guess we'll say industry. I, I hesitate yeah. to call it that, but yeah. It has become an industry. It has become, yeah. yeah. It has in the UFO Community has become an industry. I mean, there are people in there making tons of money now. And there's a fellow in there that I've followed or known about for a number of years that is now basically into this prosperity gospel type thing. It's basically kind of that, you know, send me money and I'm going to tell you how to be wealthy and how to harness your psychic power to make millions, all this. That's not reality. That's if it were, we'd all be rich. It just doesn't work that way. And so, again, nothing wrong with making money. You know, if you can make money, God bless you. That's not what the prime directive should be with psychic gifts, spiritual gifts. It should be, hey, how can we grow spiritually? How can we be better people? How can we help others and heal others? How can we heal this planet? You know, and one of the things that we've totally, completely lost is the fact that there are nature spirits, that the earth itself is seems to be sentient, that there are these other intelligences out there besides us that either reside on or interact with this planet. And we've totally lost contact with that. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're totally materialistic. We're totally money-driven. We're totally commerce-driven. We're totally this, that, the other. And we've lost contact with that, and it's hurting us. It's hurting us a lot. And we have to get back to that connection with nature spirits, with nature itself, with the earth itself, in a common sense, reasonable way. We don't have to go out and become tree huggers. Not but. if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do something in a way that is real and that makes sense and that reconnects us with that. When we do, that's when we're going to begin to see some real genuine progress. Absolutely. I agree. I'm pivoting a little bit here. Sure. But what I've heard lately from a lot of different people who aren't even plugged into the paranormal or to the other at all they're contacting me and they're saying, hey, I've been listening to your podcast and this weird thing happened to me and this weird thing happened to me. It does feel like there's sort of a wave happening, uh, increased experiences. Are you feeling that as well? I do feel like that periodically the other side does reach out to us, you know, say, hey, we're trying to communicate. We're trying to help and we're trying to get you synchronized with us, communicating with us so that we can work together and so that we can work some of this stuff out and, and make things better. And I do think that's happening. I think we go through periods of that, cycles of that. And maybe there are beings on the other side 
that are kind of like we are. Maybe they sit there and they look at us for a while and you know, you know what? I'm going to give it one more shot. I'm going <laughs> to give it one more try with these guys. Doggone it. And, and maybe some of that is, is kind of that way. There's an interesting thing I want to talk to you about. This is something that it's a technique that goes way, way back. And most people, and especially younger people, have no clue what it is. And uh, even some of the older folks around are, are not familiar with it or don't remember and never learned it. But there was a, uh, a technique I learned when I was a teenager. It's called cloud busting. And what you do is you go and you sit outside and you want a nice day, clear day with blue skies and maybe just a few little puffy clouds here and there. Not big, heavy clouds, but just little small clouds. No wind and just a really nice day. And you sit down and you pick out one of these little puffy clouds and you stare at it and you begin to visualize from your third eye region in your forehead, you begin to visualize this ray going from your third eye up to that cloud in a continuous stream nonstop. And you like a laser beam going from you to this cloud. And when it hits the cloud, you visualize it dispersing into that cloud and breaking that cloud up and dissolving that cloud. And you hold that image and you say to that cloud, you're going to receive this energy and you're going to dissolve. You're going to break up. You're going to dissipate. Thank you for receiving this energy. Thank you for obeying this. Thank you for breaking up. And if you're sincere in that and you really focus, you really concentrate, that cloud is going to vanish like that. Now, this is something that's so easy to teach because nearly anybody can do it. Some people can do it like the first time they try. Other people may take a week or whatever. But it's one of the first psychic techniques that you teach somebody to show them, hey, things work. Mind over matter works. We do have this connection with things. We can do these things. And it's one of the first things you teach. And I haven't heard anything about it in 100 years. Well, the other side brought it to my mind. And they told me, they said, now, if we can get a cloud to just vanish that way with that energy, with that technique, what about taking that technique every single day, at least once a day, and as many people as can, and sit and visualize this energy going out and disrupting the coronavirus, hitting that little invisible virus and just die, disrupt dissolve, go away, vanish, become impotent. And how about doing that every single day? And I was like, wow, what an excellent idea. And we can extrapolate that then to other things, you know, like attacking cancers in people's bodies and things like that. So those are the types of things that we need to be learning and need to be reviving and need to be doing and practicing and getting out there and instead of the lady on Twitter with her, I met the aliens in person and they're ready to come out. We're taking a TV crew and we're doing all this in two months. The entire world will know, well, two months has come and gone and nothing. <laughs> and uh, instead of that nonsense, what we need to be doing is practical things like this that work and then going and helping people, healing people, doing some good. You know, when people like that come out with their nonsense and such serious research back a long, long, long way, because people that are skeptical or that are on the fence and want to believe and counter that. And they're like, oh, well, see, they're just a bunch of idiots. They're just a bunch of fools. I'm not going to involve myself in that nonsense. I don't mm -hmm. want that tainting my reputation. And you can't blame them. That's the thing that we still fight and we have to look out for. And it's, uh, God, it's been around for so long. And why is it two months? It's always two months. <laughs> the, uh, there was, the rapture, the rapture yeah. is always right around the corner, just two months two away. Months. There was a guy, a, a Benjamin Krim, I believe it was, and he took out, when I was, I guess I was in my teens, he took out full-page ads in newspapers all across the country 
the New York Times and this, that, and the other, and all this. Full page ads. And it announced that uh, Christ was here on the planet. Christ had returned and was walking around as one of his names was Lord Maitreya, I believe, or something like that. And then in two months' time, we will know that Christ is on this planet. He will be revealed. Everyone will know that Christ is here. And, of course, BS. Never <laughs> happened. Ain't never going to happen. So along comes everybody else, including the lady on Twitter now with her thing. In two months, the aliens are going to reveal themselves to the world. Yeah. All that type of stuff sets back serious beliefs, serious research, serious things we can be doing. That sets that back by years. You mm -hmm. know? Totally. It angers me. It upsets me. And uh, as someone who's experienced so many genuine phenomena and knows that that's there and knows the capacity that we could have if we come together in uh, a meaningful way and exercise spiritual gifts in a meaningful way, it, it really angers me and it really upsets me. And that's difficult to do. That's a, a difficult thing to do because people's egos get in the way. When I was a young man, we had people come to our, our home for like a spirit circle, prayer group, whatever you want to call it, seance, whatever name you want to give it. And uh, we worked on healing for people and got guidance and, and things for people. And and there was really some miraculous things beginning to happen, really some phenomenal things starting to happen. And as time went by, people would come in with the latest book. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this guy. Or we got to do this gal's teachings and all this. And it's like, well, you know, we've got something that works. Why do we want to interject something that's not proven that we don't know if it will mesh with us and we'll mesh with it? Oh, well, it's the latest best-selling book and all this. So that threw a wrench in things. Mm -hmm. And then there were people that were like, well, you know, we should do this at my house. I think I should be the leader for a while. We should just swap out leaders and this and the other. So egos got involved. And after a while, it tore the group apart. And all the, the good work that had happened up to that point went by the wayside because everybody just kind of splintered and went off and little factions formed. Oh, this, this woman's rich and well-known in the community and, and uh, I'm going to go to her house and maybe I'll curry her favor. It's sad, but true. And that's the way it goes. Yeah. Humans are notoriously, fickle. We, we are, we're fickle and we're also, we're so very delicate when it comes to power. We yeah. are so very easily corrupted and yeah. Yeah. the ego just sneaks its little way in it disrupts any kind of group and not even spiritual just spiritual groups but but businesses and oh, yeah. clubs and it's just everywhere yeah. and that's i true. i think if what you brought up a really good point and this has come up a lot lately in fact my one of my most recent guests brought this up as well we keep thinking of magic not i mean the royal we as like this thing that's going to benefit me and right. what if we started to expand that outward and say, well, what if magic or your spiritual practice or energy work, whatever you call it, what if we actually started from the intention of, yeah, I want it to help me, but then I also want to use it to help others. What if you just practice, even in the beginning as a beginning practitioner, what if you started thinking, like you said, about what can benefit us? Yeah. Or, or just yeah. eradicating COVID. Just have that in your thought. And when we move away from thoughts about ourselves, I think we actually automatically become better humans. We start yeah. to open up our ability to, to be worthy to get higher gifts, higher right. magical gifts. 
we have to realize, like going back to the, the cloud busting thing and using that against COVID, if we all do that with a measure of success, that benefits us in the long run. Exactly. Because then the economy opens back up more fully and then you can go places again and then you're free from this and free from that and you can do all these things without these restrictions. So if, if you were to just practice it only for yourself, that's a short-sighted view. I think we have to have that concern for our fellow man. We are all connected in that way and we do have to have that concern for others and we do have to have that desire to help others and reach out to others to be beneficial however we can. And mm -hmm. again, if you take one battery, you can power a bulb for an hour. And if you wire a series of batteries together in parallel, you can power that bulb for 24 hours. And it's the same way with people. If you've got one person out there fighting the fight, it ain't going to last very long. But if you've got a group of 50 people doing the exact same thing every day, you're going to get some results. Totally. Yeah. And he keeps popping up lately, but Aleister Crowley is like a really good example of somebody who tapped into the power and of magic, right. but used it so self-servingly. I mean, yeah. it was just all about him and his weird. Completely about him. Yeah. He was, he was self-centered, totally self-involved and everything was to benefit him and, and no one else. And it was all about how can I use this power to draw from this, to gain this, to get that, to so on and so forth. And I think that he ultimately kind of short-circuited himself, kind of did himself in with that attitude. And it became a very sexual, not even a sensual, it became a sexual thing that degenerated into really a perversion with Crowley. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there was nothing constructive or helpful or whatever there. It was just this continual exploration of what he perceived to be the dark side that wasn't even the dark side. It was just his own perversion yep. and his own will and desire to go there under the guise of magic. And it, and it wasn't magic. It was just his perversion. He allowing it to live it out and, and uh, go plummet its depths. And that's all it was. It's a sad thing when people hold Crowley up as a shining example of magic or a wizard or a magician. Because he wasn't. He was just a deviant. He was a pervert. Yeah. You know? And he allowed himself to explore that dark side under the guise of magic. And I think magic deserted him. I think I agree with you. I'm still sort of trying to figure out Crowley. I've, I've, I kind of go, I dip in and out of his his history, but... I do think that he tapped into some powerful magic. I don't think that he was ready for it in the end. Yeah. And I do believe that in the end, he was betrayed by it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's one thing that happens is when this power introduces itself to you, you have the opportunity then to see that power as it is and to determine how you're going to interact with it and what you're going to do with it. And if you make the wrong choice, then like you say, in the end, it, it betrays you and does you in. And again, that's that's why I'm so careful with my gift and with what I do, because I know the guy's power firsthand. And I know they haven't just directly said this to me, but I've read their minds in essence. And I know that if I were to screw up, it would be like, oh, John, it's going to be bad for you now, son. <laughs> it's going to be so. So I told the line because I don't want to lose my gifts. I don't want to dishonor my gifts. And I never want to take advantage of any of my clients or, or friends, anyone. So I've made the decision in my entire life for that part of my life to live that as honestly and authentically as I can. Growing up and being a normal human being, I've been the normal screw up like everybody else has and I've searched for my identity 
and all of this, trying to figure out who I was and, and where I fit in and been a big a jerk as possible at times, <laughs> but never with my gift. Mm. <laughs> so you're like, I'm real careful about that. <laughs> yeah, that's the defining thing. It's like, okay, I could admit to being a big screw up as John Russell, the person, but never as John Russell, the psychic. And yeah. that's something I've always held sacrosanct and always kept sacred and always honored and always will. And then as time has gone on, hopefully I've come to grips with being a better John Russell as well. I'm sure there's people that would disagree, but we all have our faults, yeah, we all have uh, our problems, and it's like, okay, whatever. I've tried my best, and here you go. Here's the results. I have an idea. Because you are such a prolific experiencer in both of your books, A Knock in the Attic and Riding with Ghosts and Spirits of the Dead. Am I right. saying it right? Writing with ghosts, angels, and the spirits of the dead. Yeah. Forgot the angels. Right, right. In both of those books, it's just chock full of these stories. So my idea is, because you have so many experiences, and, and that's something that's really unique about you, I've been getting a lot of questions from fans or listeners of the podcast, and they've been asking me about a bunch of different things. And right. I thought what I would do is just kind of rapid fire go through them and see if you've got an experience about each yeah. one or if you've got an idea or, sure. I guess, an opinion about them. Would right. that be cool? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to go through the you know list of... I, I just plucked them from emails. So okay. fairies. Yeah. First one is fairies. Could you recap that one experience that you had? And uh, was that the only experience you had with fairies? As far as I know, that is the only experience I've had with fairies. And that occurred when I was sitting outside at night. It was a clear night. And I was looking at the stars. And I, I usually sit out to watch the UFOs doing their things because I've had a lot of UFO sightings at night. Looking at the stars and from across the street, right over the top of my neighbor's house, just a little over the peak of his roof, comes this object flying across the um, street toward my house. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, what in the world? And as it gets closer, about the middle of the street as it's coming to my house, and it's flying right directly towards me where I'm sitting outside, I can see that it's an oblong object, and it either has an aura around it or it's glowing from within and giving off an aura. And as it gets closer, I can see very clearly because it goes right over the top of me. And as I'm watching it go over the top of me, it's this winged being, let's call it a fairy, about two to three feet long, has a wingspan of two or three feet and arms and legs. It was dressed and had on clothes and had on, had long hair. And I wanted to say it was a female. I don't know for certain, but it looked like a female and had distinctly, you know, humanoid features. I was like, Hey, <laughs> come back here. <laughs> you know, let's, let's talk. Let me get a, a close look at you. Let me, but they didn't come back. And uh, as, as far as I know, I've never seen, seen anything like that since. But that was my first experience where I was like, son of a gun, they are real. That was pretty exciting. Do you remember what the clothing looked like? Do you have any recollection of like, was it just regular human clothes that we wear every day? Like a Hawaiian t-shirt or what was happening? It was just some, like some kind of a shirt and a tunic and maybe some type of pants or something like that. And that was it. Just Crazy. 
And like I say, I was yelling at it. I was like, come back. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. okay, now that I've seen them, I know for sure they're real. I want to talk to it or, hey, let's get a selfie together or something. Here, you know? <laughs> but it's real funny. A lot of times these beings will reveal themselves to you as kind of a, I don't know if it's kind of a shocker, kind of like, hey, we're here, you know, yeah. uh, if you want to explore and learn more. It's their world, too, and maybe it's going through on the way to some place and happens to pass over me, and oh, well, I, I don't know, but I sure would like to see another one. I'd like to have contact with one and actually be able to communicate somehow with one. That would be fascinating. Absolutely. John, if that happens, you better call me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'm going to the next one. Vampires. Yes. Vampires. I don't believe in them. <laughs> you don't believe in them. Okay. I don't believe in them. I, I've never seen anything that would convince me, at least certainly not in modern day times, that there's any such thing as, as a true vampire. And there's been a few things in the distant past that make you kind of go, well, maybe, but nothing I'd hang my hat on. Gotcha. How about witches? Oh, yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> good. good I have. Good witches, bad witches. Have you have you yeah, ever had an all, encounter all with the love? And like I'm the male equivalent, so you know it's like yeah, absolutely. Do you have any story that sticks out to you about perhaps like a witch's ritual or ceremony or something that happened with a group of witches or even like a um, particularly powerful solo practitioner? Well, mostly myself because I'm like I say I'm the male version of that, and I I do practices that some of them are pagan and wicked in nature and they are effective they do produce things and i've lived very close to the earth very close to nature and uh, so i i know that that's absolutely real and that it is true so yeah absolutely what about cryptids unfortunately i wanted to but i have not seen any but i definitely believe in them simply because i have talked to enough credible people that have had direct experiences, that's good enough for me in my book. When somebody you can trust beyond doubt tells you that, hey, I have had this direct experience with, you know, either a, a Bigfoot or a Dogman or this or that or whatever, then you have to say, okay. And, you know, there, there are these things out there that we don't know what they are. We can't classify them all. We know there are these others. Let's take the Bigfoot argument. With all the cell phones that hunters and campers and everything have now, why do we not have any pictures of Bigfoot? And the other argument is, where's the Bigfoot corpse? You know, they've got to die if they're if they're physical at all. Where's the Bigfoot corpse out in the woods? Okay, well, I can answer both of those questions and put them to rest once and for all. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have been an outdoorsman my entire life. I have hunted and fished and camped. I have gone into the most remote woods that I could, and I've had cameras with me for most of my life. I do not have a picture of a bear. And I have never seen in the wilds, in all my years of being an outdoorsman, I have never seen a bear carcass in the wild. As a matter of fact, in all of my years as an outdoorsman, I've never encountered a bear in the wild. So therefore, I can say bears don't exist. Bears are a myth. <laughs> so, yeah, I can use the same logic that the, that the Bigfoot people do. But I'm being totally serious. I've been outdoors my entire life, never seen a bear, never seen scat, never seen prints, never seen anything, and certainly never seen a bear carcass. So, 
And people also have to understand that if people have never been out in the woods, when you go out in the wilds, I mean, the real wilds, it's a big place. (laughs) You can hide armies out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a big place. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I do believe in cryptids 100%. I don't think people realize how expansive it is, especially if you live in the city and you don't have a real good frame of reference. But I mean, when you look at even just one forest, one relatively small forest, you could get lost and die in there and no one would ever know. I mean, would ever find you. Yeah. Yeah. But you haven't worked with them directly. You haven't had any. No, and doggone it, I want to. But so far, they haven't seen fit to to communicate with me for whatever reason. And I'm hoping that changes (laughs) as time goes by. Now, I will tell you in conjunction with that, a really delicious story. I'll take it. I'll, I'll tell as much of this as I'm allowed to tell without giving too much away. But I have a client with whom I have a standing invitation and I'm gimped up with a lot of health issues, so I can't hike now like I used to. Uh, and that's the only thing keeping me from taking advantage of the invitation. But I have a standing invitation to go with this group of people that go up into this certain area in the mountains. And I won't say, I won't even say what part of the country it's in. And they interact with Bigfoot families. And the Bigfoot families will, the Bigfoots will like bring little gifts that they make out of twigs and rocks and things they weave together and put together. And they'll bring these to the people and give them to them as gifts. They'll all share the the same. They camp by this water location, by this, this lake or this river and the Bigfoot come there for water and they'll sit by the water's edge and the people will sit there with them. And they have that direct contact with them. And uh, this is from somebody that beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know is a hundred percent credible. I know your health is not, you're not doing well health-wise right now, but I mean, wouldn't you say like, oh my God, I will get whatever taken care of to come and see that. Like take me in a stretcher, like get me there so I can see it. That's what the old lady said the other day. She said like, you know, the travois that the Indians used to carry behind the horses with a sick guy on dragging along on the travois. She said, get them to do that. Get them to drag you up the mountain with that. You know, it's like, well, I may have to, but yeah, can you? That, that's that's an experience that I would love. That's on my bucket list. So hopefully, same thing on that one. If if that does happen, because I have heard from many people in the cryptid world that especially Bigfoot does like to give gifts, little yeah. gifts. But I I have not at all heard that anybody is is sitting down with p- people who are resemble a Bigfoot family or they're of that yeah. lineage or whatever. So that's yeah, intense. Have, that's gnarly. Have, they have sat down with them and, and had communion with these, with the Bigfoots. But and they keep it secret? They, they yeah, because, because otherwise every idiot and their dog is going to be up there, you know, let's go kill one and bring it in for a reward or put it on TV or whatever, you know. So yeah. by necessity, they, they have to keep it quiet. Yeah. Moving on. Let's just move Moving on. on. Aliens. Let's talk about aliens. We touched on this last episode, but bring me back. Take me back to what you feel about them and and any of your experiences with them. Well, I feel like the technology that we see, uh, obviously the government has finally admitted it's physical objects that captured it on multiple sensors. And the government has skidded right up to the line of saying it's not ours, folks. Mm -hmm. They've said it in every way, but exactly saying that. And my opinion has always been that it's uh, non-earthly technology and that it's not piloted by anything that 
we would know as human, maybe humanoid, but certainly not human. My feeling is that it's always been some extraterrestrial race or species or whatever. That's my take on it. Now, all of these years later, we don't know why they're here, what their intents are, what their purposes are. And it seems like that there's not been any reliable way to gauge that. And for the people that say, oh, well, you need to listen to Dr. So-and-so's lecture series. He communicates with them every night at 2 a.m. on the toilet. And it's like, <laughs> leave me alone. Leave me out. I'm aware of all the, the goofball nonsense. I'm aware of all the people that, oh, yeah, brother so-and-so comes down and takes me in the craft. And we go visit his family and have dinner every night up on Sirius or whatever. And it's like, fine, take your medication. And, you know. <laughs> I'm aware of all of that. So don't bring that to me. Bring me something I can hang my hat on. If you've got legitimate physical contact with an alien being, put that sucker in your Jeep and bring him over to my house. And let's all sit out in the backyard with a glass of bourbon and let me get to know this guy. And that's the kind of thing I can hang my hat on. But And the toilet reference, by the way, was actually this woman that used to call in on one of the late night talk shows and say that there was this alien that materialized. She would get up to go to the bathroom at two in the morning. And while she was sitting on the toilet, this alien would materialize in her bathroom and download this vast knowledge into her brain while she's using the bathroom. Hmm. And I was just, I'm sorry, but I just, <laughs> to this day, that image. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> you know, couldn't do it while she's sitting watching TV. Couldn't do it while she's in bed asleep. Got to wait till she's on the can doing her business. Uh-huh. Now I give you knowledge. It's like, please, please, please. Let's make, you can't make this stuff up, man. Holy God. So I'm aware of all that junk. Don't bring that junk to me. Bring me something I can hang my hat on. But I yeah. do believe they are extraterrestrial, yeah. And have you had any experiences? I've had a lot of UFO experiences, but nothing directly with an, an ET presence. And I would like to, or I think I would like to, as, as long as I wouldn't abducted or armed or probed, and unless she was pretty and had free breasts. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and then, it, then that might be okay. But <laughs> the most dramatic for me incident occurred when I was again sitting out here one night looking at the stars. <laughs> there was this glowing <laughs> orange orb that came around. And at first I thought it was a, a plane and I looked at it and then I realized that there were no blinking lights. There were no landing lights or anything. And I was like, well, what was this? And it, it got closer and it was large and it was translucent and it was just this glowing orange orb. And I was like, oh my God, that's a UFO. And so I'm watching the thing and it comes around and it gets in front of me and it's down pretty low in the sky. I looked up at it, I stood up, and psychically and verbally, I said, if you can hear me, stop, and then reverse. And the damn thing stopped, backed up slightly in the sky, and then shot off up into the, from down where the the little planes fly low that were coming into the airport we live near, up to where the big aircraft fly way up in the sky, it went up to there in a split second's time and hovered there a little bit and then shot up amongst the stars and hovered there for a little bit and then boom, off into the universe. And so that was my most amazing experience. The fact that this thing heard me 
and then responded to me, acknowledged what I asked it to do. But then with no further communication or anything else, just, hey, watch this, (laughs) gone. And it's like, okay, amazing. Yeah, amazing, super weird. But I'm no richer, no smarter, and no better looking. So I don't know what all that was all about. (laughs) But uh, you never know. Interesting. Yeah. On that topic, I just want to, I want to know your opinion on this. I recently had a hypnosis session done because mm-hmm. I get to meet so many different people through the podcast. They sometimes offer me sessions. And so I said, sure, why the hell not? I'm going to do this. So I did it and I went really far under. I've actually done two now, two different mm-hmm. hyp- hypnotists. The first one I went pretty far under and I had started recollecting a non-human past life. Mm-hmm. So seemingly an alien past life. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it freaked me out. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, what the hell just happened? You know, like, <laughs> right, right. so what do you think about that? Just based off of what you said, you know, you, you want yeah. somebody to sit down and put them in a Jeep and have them come sit and have a bourbon right, with you. Right. In this case, I was like, damn, I really felt like I might've been a different mm-hmm. kind of being in another life. What do you think about that? I don't know. Good answer. Me neither. <laughs> I, I really, I really don't know. Is it possible that we transmogrify somehow from life to life or this that, and the other? Certainly anything's possible. You can't discount it, but by the same token, those are the types of experiences that are so subjective and so nebulous that I put it in the category of, well, that's interesting, but then we need more, you know, we need more data and eventually there has to be some type of evidence if we can get it. So interesting, but I don't know. I'd be the first to admit that it is a subjective experience, but still, you know, if it, if it leaves the person that, that wasn't expecting that baffled afterward, it's kind of like, whoa. So it yeah. is something to think about, but yeah, I, I, it's curious to hear your, your thought on that. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to keep going through this list. Let's go. <laughs> Poltergeist in any oh, kind yeah. of, yeah, I knew yeah. you were, this is going to be a hot topic. What is oh, yeah. the weirdest poltergeisty situation you've ever been in? I used to wear a lot of earrings. I had this this one favorite bright gold skull and crossbone earring that I wore. And I had in my, my old house back in Texas and in my bedroom at the time when my mother was still alive, my sister and I lived there. I had a large bedroom and I had a recliner there next to my bed and I had this white table, side table next to my recliner. And uh, I laid down to take a nap. It was a beautiful day, blue sky, sunshine, plenty of light coming in my bedroom there. And I took my earring out and I laid it down in the middle of this white table. So this bright gold earring on this white table, right? You can't miss it. So I took a nice long nap and I woke up and it's, it's still bright and sunny outside. And I said, oh man, I'm going to get up and go have Mexican food at my favorite Mexican food restaurant. So I looked over at that earring and I started to reach for it. And I thought, no, I'm going to wear a different earring. And so I got up from my recliner, walked around my bed uh, to the nightstand where I had a door where I had a bunch of earrings in there. I looked in there and then for some reason I decided, no, I'm not going to wear. I'll wear the, the gold one instead. Walked back around the bed. So we're talking about what, like a minute at the, at the most that that transpired and walked back over to the table to pick it up and it was gone and it vanished. You never found it again? Nope. <laughs> Dang. Where, where do you think it went? Somebody said, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it really cool? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And somebody was like, oh, that's mine. <laughs> Interesting. But they brought me things too, so, you know. What kind of things have they have they brought? A little lace heart appeared out of nowhere. A chunk of wood appeared in a bowl of chili that I had made and was eating and that I, I, I knew everything, every ingredient that went in there, you know, I, with a fine tooth comb and the bite I was fixing to take. And this is, this is what the weird thing that happened. The bite I was fixing to take the phone rang and I was like, Oh, the machine will get it. And then I thought, Oh, I better go and see if I need to get that. So I set the spoon down in the bowl of chili and I went and the, the, ringtone was odd the ringtone sounded weird and so i got up to go listen to the answering machine and and see uh, if it was something i needed to pick up and it made two of these weird rings and then stopped and i was like "Eh, okay whatever so i turned around walked back to the table got my spoon and there was a chunk of wood in the chili in my spoon there (laughs) where there had been nothing just a split second before i've still got that piece of wood to this day what do you think that little gift was? Do you think it was just sort of them saying, hey, we're here? Or... I think that's it. I think that's it. You know, I, I don't think that everything we experience has some great cosmic meaning. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we make our mistake. It's like you're at the bus stop and some person comes up. You've never met them. You don't know them from Adam. And they sit down and they go, boy, hot enough for you? Yeah, man, I can't wait till the weather cools off. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, you know, how about those Yankees? Yeah, son of a gun and blah, blah, blah. And there's no great cosmic meaning to that. It's just two human beings making a connection, passing the time. We haven't healed anybody. We haven't discerned anything vastly significant. That's it. It's just just small talk. And I think sometimes the universe just makes small talk with us. I like thinking about it like that, that it's just the universe making small talk. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Demons. I think I uh, know. Yeah. Don't believe in them. <laughs> yeah. Don't I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how about not demons, but how about the, like a really dark, cause I know in the paranormal world, there's a lot of dark experiences, some shit that like really made you kind of like, woof. I, yeah. He freaked you out. What What's one of the darkest, freaky things that's happened to you? Oh, that would be when I was doing the uh, the investigation of the horse barn. I got to this one stall, this vacant stall, and I said, oh, God, I said, I'm getting this really horrible, dark, negative energy here. I said, was there a horse here that was abused and then killed and, and like abused in a really perverted, really, really sick, disgusting way. And there was, there was a horse that this guy had sodomized with a piece of wood and then beaten the horse to death with that wood in that stall. I was like, oh my God, how, how sick and perverse can you be? So that was one of the darkest, most violent, most horrible and perverse experiences I ever picked up on. That's night, definitely nightmare inducing. Did yeah, you? That was, that was pretty hideous. Yeah. Yeah. What did, did you ever figure out what that guy's deal was? Was he just sort of a, a psychopath, or as, as far as I can tell, he was just just a psychopath, just nuts, just just kind of crazy. Cuckoo. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Oh, yeah. that's that's a horrible visual. It is a horrible visual. Yeah. Oh, I asked, didn't I? I asked. You asked. So. You wanted to know. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about necromancy? 
the involvement with the dead. Uh, bringing them back, bringing dead people bringing back. Bringing them back and, and having sex with them and everything, necrophilia. I think that's necrophilia, yeah. yeah. Different different one. Right. <laughs> we could talk about that, too, if you want. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. I don't know of anyone that successfully brought anyone back from the dead. I don't know of any stories that or anyone has worked with anyone from the dead with any success or brought them back or or uh, anything like that. I know there's a lot of lore. There's a lot of stories there, but uh, I haven't found anything I would hang my hat on. But again, going back to some of the very ancient tales, uh, there's some things that kind of like with the vampires, I would say, well, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. That's That's about as far as I can take it. You said you don't believe in demons. So explain to me people who have negative experiences on paranormal investigations with entities that don't really seem human. What do you, what would you call that if not a demon? What is it? Well, it could be a dark spirit. It could be a nature spirit. That, look, you know, we make the false assumption that everything out there is like us, thinks like us, acts like us, responds like us, has the same emotions as us. And in my experience, a lot of these uh, different entities, and in particular, a lot of different nature spirits are way different than us. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily violent or evil or anything like that, or even dark. Uh, It just means that they don't think the way we do. They don't act the way that we do. They may not have the same interests that we do. They can interact with us and they know how to interact with us, but they're their own being, their own thing. It's like us and snakes. You can take a snake and make it a pet, but it's not a human. And it still <laughs> acts like a snake and it thinks like a snake and it does like a snake and it is a snake. Okay. <laughs> now that doesn't mean it's evil or demonic or perverted. It's just a snake. So If you reach over and grab it when it's asleep and it turns around and bites you, it's not evil. You just started it while it was sleeping and the reflex was, oh, darn, something's trying to eat me. i got to defend myself. And so we have to extrapolate that to the the spiritual beings that we encounter and the entities that we encounter and to realize that we don't know all the mechanisms of involvement there, which is why I tell people, be respectful mm-hmm. when you're investigating, when you're wanting to interact with things or experience things or investigate things, ask permission, be respectful, be kind, be quiet. Don't go in cursing. Don't go in demanding. Don't go in telling them how inferior they are or whatever. Uh, go in with some respect because I have seen demonstrations of spiritual power from different beings where they have physically manipulated the physical realm in such a way that took mind-blowing strength Mm. and for them was effortless. Right. So the fact that they could take you and just kind of flick you like a gnat if they wanted to and that they don't shows a tremendous amount of restraint on their part. And I think that a lot of these people that may be having so-called negative experiences when they go in for investigations or whatever is they go in acting like idiots. Mm. And so these spirits go, Oh, what's this? (laughs) What's this? (laughs) Again, uh, I don't deny evil. There's obviously evil in the world. You look at people, people are evil and do evil things by extrapolation. Everything in the spiritual realm can't be roses and lollipops, but I, I don't think there's this, giant hierarchy of demons out there just bent on doing this thing, that thing, and the other thing. 
it doesn't make any sense for one thing. And if there is such a hierarchy, we glean that usually from a biblical source. And so if there is, then there has to be an angelic hierarchy that's higher than that and keeps that in check. Mm-hmm. So people kind of neglect that or don't don't go that way. They always go toward the dark side. And I don't buy it. I never have bought it. I think that a lot of it is misinterpretation of what happens or misunderstanding of, of things or overactive imagination. I know this has come up lately in a lot of podcasts recently when I've talked to people that people have said, I think someone may be possessed or either harassed or attacked by something dark or whatever by a demon. And most of the time when I investigate these things, the person has a history of some type of mental illness, mm-hmm. drug abuse, drug use, overactive imagination, hysterics, whatever. And, and there's usually a rational physical explanation for what's going on. And then if there is something paranormal happening, usually it's the person's uh, misinterpretation of it and, and wrong reaction to it, misunderstanding of it. Mm-hmm. Which happens so more often than a not, lot, I would say. Yeah. Lot, yeah. You were five years old when you saw your first apparition. That was a full apparition. You saw that yeah, guy. Full from- body. Full yep, body, full body, solid, not not transparent, not translucent, just as solid as you or I. Which is fascinating. That was the first time you saw one. When was the last time you saw one? Oh, gosh, I'm always seeing something since we moved into this new house. There's a little ghost animal that follows me around. At first, I thought it was Bugsy, and I would catch a glimpse out of the corner of my eye, and I would look, and it was like, nope, not Bugsy. So, uh, yeah, there's this, this little critter that, that lives here that follows me around. And, uh, and it's a very sweet presence, has huh. a very sweet feel to it. And and so that's why I thought it was Bugsy at first when I saw it, like wandering around over here and it had such a, emanated such a nice energy. I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I see those types of things pretty frequently. I was just going to ask you, is the house you currently live in haunted? But you, there you go. You got yeah, something going yeah. on there. All, all places are haunted. Who's been there before? Sitting and in the said, soil. Oh, it was, was forest land well guess what there are civilizations that forests have taken over you know and if you dig down through the forest and dig down to the roots of the foundation you go oh there used to be a little city here or there used to be a housing development here you know whatever and there's evidence of that like uh, in the florida state parks here Uh, you go into some of them and like there's this one place where there was a thriving sugarcane mill and i think they made molasses or whatever whatever else they did there there's just, and all of this that there used to be clearing and houses and dwellings and this mill, this factory, whatever. Now there's these little bitty bits of foundations uh, down to the ground scattered here and there amongst the forest that the forest is totally reclaimed. And you have to look hard to find, you know, where the houses were and where the dwellings were and where, uh, where things were. The, the road that used to go in and out is obliterated. The foundations are, have virtually disappeared. The forest is just taking it back over. So read the book, The Practice of the Wild by Gary mm-hmm. Snyder. He talks about, you know, we think there are these pristine wild places where no man's ever been, no man's ever lived. And you usually find some lore or someone that says, oh, yeah, our ancestors all these years ago called this place such and such and went there to trade or live there or pass through there or whatever. So all these all these places on the planet we think are uninhabited probably have been at mm-hmm. one time or the other. It's like going on uh, A1A here in Florida and over by the uh, Matanzas River, the Matanzas Inlet. 
there's this beautiful little place. People are out there boating and picnicking on the sand and, and windsurfing and all this stuff. On that spot, Matanzas means slaughter. And on that spot, right there, where all this beauty is and all these people are enjoying the water and doing all these water activities and fishing and everything else, there were all these Spanish soldiers killed on that spot. <laughs> it's like, you know, so, hey, so everything you say, you built a new house. Yeah, but you built it on an old earth. Mm -hmm. And then what spirits did you bring with you? What spirits decided to come in there? What spirits are passing through there? We have radio waves going through our body constantly. All these different radio waves. And if we tune into the right one, we have music, you know. Uh, and so we have these invisible spirits constantly around us, constantly going about their business and, and watching us and doing things and so on and so forth. So every place is on it. I love that. I think that's the the quote of the episode. Everywhere, every place is haunted. Every place is haunted. I have to say that the other people who are similar to you in that they communicate with ghosts every day. I mean, to, to some extent, maybe not verbally, but it, they right. just know they're there. They all say something similar to that, that it's yeah. just like, they're here. They're all here. It's an, it's, oh, sure. a, it's just a reality that you just don't see or experience right. through your senses. And that's right. the only difference is that you just that's don't. It. A, you know, people like me have the ability to tune into it. It's just, again, it's like a radio. If you've got a radio and you know the frequency to tune into, you get country or rock or jazz or whatever you want. That's that's what I think we're going to do someday. I believe that we're going to discover the frequency that these beings communicate on. And uh, I was talking with somebody that's a professional musician, and he does a lot of his own mixing, and he's got all this sophisticated software to mix his own stuff and do everything on the planet with music and sound and all this, right? And we were talking about EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. And uh, I said, you know, what we have to find out is the spirits use that noise to communicate, to make a voice that we can hear when we play that back. But what is that frequency in that noise that they're using? And he said, you know, John, he said, I'm a pro. This is how I make my living. This is what I do. And he said, I can do anything in the world you want done with a piece of music or a sound or anything else. And he said, when I upload these EVP, I dig through here and dig through here and dig through here, and I cannot find the frequency that those voices are on. Yes. And I know how to find all of these frequencies and do all these things, but I cannot find the frequency these voices are using. And we both agreed that when we're able to find that frequency, then we're going to start to have two-way communication with the other side in real time. You're also going to make a lot of money, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come sit in this room, pay me $500 and talk to grandma for two minutes. You know, it's like. Wow. Well, yeah. I I'm, I mean, I keep saying throughout this episode, call me if that happens. But if that happens, don't just call me. You better fucking like we're going to just come and get me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do it in person. Right? That's right. right. I mean, that I have heard something similar to that, that we don't have the frequency. We're unable to tap into that and, and that everybody's trying to get there. Right. I haven't heard it said quite how you said it just now, but that that's a dream right there. Do you think it'll happen in your lifetime, in our lifetime? Oh, God, I hope it does. But it may be longer than that. There are people working on things right now uh, to try and achieve that. But some of those people, I'm not real sure they're entirely scrupulous. 
you know, it just uh, it's you get into that whole process, and it's it's such a a difficult and convoluted thing. I mean, think back. You know, we think Constantine uh, Constantine Rado was uh, the the first guy to do EVP. Well, he wasn't. This goes way back before him. So this has been around a long time. I found this book that has the history of EVP going back to like virtually its inception and bringing it up to the uh, the current times. And for all of our knowledge, for all of our technology, for everything we've done, we haven't made a hell of a lot of progress with EVP. Seriously. You know, we have all these new sophisticated recording methods and we still get <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> really a <laughs> hundred years later in the most sophisticated recorder I can buy for $500 and I get static and the word George. Okay. Interesting though. Right. Why, why have we not made more advancements? Yeah, I know. And I, well, I think people look in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. I think they get high bound and they decide that it must be this and we have to do this or look for this instead of saying, okay, let this thing lead me to where I need to go. The other thing is life is difficult, like Edison perfecting the light bulb, you know, and, and how many hundreds of tries and all this nonsense. And so we can have the desire, we can ask for intuitive help, we can experiment, we can try, and it's still this huge struggle. And uh, that's that's one of the mysteries that we've never, never been able to answer, never been able to understand. I think that part of it may be a fail-safe from the other side so that we don't have easy access to this stuff because we're basically assholes and jerks. And if we get easy access to something that powerful, the next time somebody cuts us off in traffic, you asshole die, boom, and their car explodes, (laughs) and the other side's not going to let us have that power. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's fail-safes, kind of checks and balances there. I agree with you on that one. A lot of people say, whether you believe in the legend or not, that Atlantis Atlantis sunk for that very reason, because we weren't able to manage the power appropriately. And so higher beings, even if you take that as a fable on its own, it still has a very important message. And the message is we're assholes and we always have been. And so we don't do well with power. This is kind of a running theme. So. Well, it's like Stan Friedman said. He said, look at the way we spend our money. Every new frontier is a new place with which to do battle. Exactly. Yeah, you know, great. He was awesome. Do, so. yeah. We got to wrap up here soon. But I wanted to ask, is there anything that you feel really compelled to share with my listeners? Is there a, sp- a specific story? Also, stuff you want to plug right now, what you got going on for the coming year? I know you've got a book, a new book in the works. Yeah, yeah. The third book I'm writing on now, I've got two books out, Writing the Ghost Angels, Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic. Those are available to Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble. You can get them online at Target and Walmart. I'm writing on this third book. Like I say, I've done over 70 podcasts so far this year. It's insane. Uh, and this is in addition to my clients. And so I'm falling behind on writing a little bit, and I'm trying to catch up with that. Hopefully, it'll be out maybe March next year. That's that's what I'm shooting for. This book is titled 20 Ways to Increase Your Psychic Abilities. And it's a collection. There will be 20 chapters. Each chapter will have a specific technique. And it's something that the other side has taught me directly over the years that I know that works. And for an example, the first chapter is on psychometry, which is holding an object, getting the vibrations, the emotions from that object, translating that into 
verbal uh, descriptions of what you perceive about that and the circumstances surrounding it and so on and so forth. And what I do is I define the technique in each chapter. I tell you how to begin to learn it, then how to practice it so that you get good at it, and then how to take it into a real-world application so that it's not just a parlor trick. So I do that for every technique and every chapter, and you don't have to know anything. I take you by the hand. I walk you through it step-by-step. Step. Anybody can learn it. Anybody can do it. And then, of course, the amount of time that you decide to put into it, the amount of practice you put into it is how good you're going to get at it or not. That's the third book, working on that. Taking a break from the podcast in November and December because I'm kind of tired out. <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> yeah, so November, December, I'm taking off for us to know friends and family celebrating the holidays, and I'll start the podcast again in January. But, of course, I, I continue my readings. Clients, new clients are always welcome to call in, get scheduled for a reading, doing that. I think the, the big thing that I would communicate to anybody right now is to begin working on that spiritual reconnection, that reconnection with earth, with nature spirits and with each other and with trying to help each other and to get away from the pay me three grand and you'll see a UFO. Get away from that nonsense. Get away from the join my spiritual reality club for a thousand dollars and I'll teach you how to be rich. Get away from that kind of nonsense. Get away from the people in the UFO communities, paranormal psychic communities that are promising you these ridiculous things that they can't deliver and stating ridiculous things and then telling you they know the truth and they know and that. No, they don't. And what we have to do is, is come and say, okay, let's look, let's find some realistic light that we can walk in that does work and let's band together and let's use that and let's get our eyes back on the things that are important to us in life, to each other, to this world, to surviving in this world, and hopefully then to thriving in this world. You know, there's people so much in need of work and in need of healing and in need of hope. And, and just then, you know, hey, man, how are we going to survive this thing? And we need to be able to encourage ourselves, to encourage others, to band together. And we're the key to this thing. The government's not. Religion's not. Uh, spiritual movements are not, the UFO community is not. We are the key to this thing. We hold the power to band together and to do that, to realize that and to make that difference if we will do it. That's the one thing I'd leave people with is connect with that. And when you connect with that, then you're going to get somewhere, you're going to experience something really good and connect with the truth, press for the truth, find out what's real and what isn't, what works and what doesn't. If it doesn't work, put it aside. I don't care if it's the most loving, sweet, fascinating, intelligent, charismatic person on the planet. If what they're telling you doesn't work, get rid of it. Don't be their follower. You know, they can be the greatest person in the world. They can be funny. They can be smart. They can be charismatic, be fun to listen to. But if it's baloney, it's baloney. Mm -hmm. So seek the truth. Follow the truth wherever it leads you. And if it destroys your pet peeves, and, and pet thoughts in the process, so much the better. Power to it. Now you become enlightened. Now you found some real truth and some, some reality you can go with. And again, go to the other side and say, okay, uh, you know, your spiritual need tomorrow is going to be different from my spiritual need tomorrow. And so everybody needs to go to their guidance, to their source and go, hey, what do I need to be doing right now? What do I need to learn? What do I need to practice to make some advancement? What do I need to be doing? And then you do that for you. And that carries you down the road to where you can be of service to someone else and where you can help someone else. 
but it has to be specific to you and not what somebody else is doing or not some new book or technique. I see so many people that they jump from psychic to psychic and they jump from book to book. As soon as a new book comes out, oh, here's the answer. Well, that didn't work. Well, of course not. Well, here's a new book and it promises the answer and they get it and that does on and on and on. They never get anywhere. So, you know, again, it's a process of finding out what you need, letting the other side guide you to that and then putting it into practice. And it takes a long time. It's a process. It's baby steps. And then you keep doing that till you arrive someplace where you can get a year down the road and look back and go, wow, look at the progress I've made. That's great advice. And I think a lot of my listeners are just embarking on their spiritual paths, that, that early spiritual development. I always think of myself as a student. People often ask me to teach them things and I'm like, nope, I'm not. <laughs> I, I am. No, no, I am not the one. And so I, I appreciate that from you. I really, I love that you remind the listeners to, to seek truth inside yourself instead of all the books. You can find somebody, but but listen to your intuition about it. And, yeah, and absolutely. It has and to feel right. Look where that person takes you. Look how they live. And if they're charging you a ton of money for it, you know, you better get out of there. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's one of the key things. And if they're making all these promises that never happen, get out of there. And if it's one of these situations of, well, in two months or well in time or well, when you're ready, you'll understand. Get out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Eject. ready right now. Eject, yeah. eject, 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 eject. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready right now. You know, bring it. What do you got? Show me. If you got yeah. it, you got it. If you don't, you don't. So, yeah. you know, don't be afraid to call people out no matter who they are. Don't get starstruck. Yeah. And this is really an important time to say this now as well, because documentaries are on the rise right now. They're very, very yeah. popular again. It, you know, it ebbs and flows. But right, right now, documentaries are just going through the roof. And so many of the documentaries are about cults. Right. specifically spiritual or religious mm-hmm. cults. So it's really, really important if someone says, we've got the answer, you've just got to pay another $1,000. That is not the path. And exactly. we're really exactly. reiterating that. Yeah. And if somebody says, we have the answer, period. No, you don't. <laughs> True. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> Even if it's free. No, you don't. You do <laughs> you not know? have. I've, yeah. I've done this 50 years and I'm so far away from the answer. You know, exactly. It's mind-blowing. I'm still learning. I'm still trying. I'm still probing. And that's what we have to learn. It's like, you know, like I wrote in my first book, Writing with Ghosts. It's like you walk in the light you're given, and you hope you get more along the way. And and that's all you can do, you know. And yeah. it's, it's different for each one of us. Like, I have this gift. Uh, other people have the gift to run a marathon. Other people have the gift to be a concert pianist or, or whatever. So we have to recognize that there's all these gifts in the world and varying degrees and levels of those gifts. And those things all have to work together. So we have to find out what our particular thing is. And look, not everybody's cut out to be a psychic or a medium or this or that or the other. You may have an interest in it, but you may not have the talent to be that. So use it as a hobby and go find out what you're supposed to be doing and do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and I w- I'm not saying I would discourage people from from teaching if you feel like you want to share something 
like your new book coming out? I mean, obviously, uh, even though you're still a student and you you say I'm far, far, far away from knowing all the answers, uh, you're, you're humble in that way. You still have some tricks up your sleeve that you've learned. And I sure. think it's you think and I, and I agree with you that that's part of your, our duty is yeah. if we, we learn something and it works, teach it. But don't exactly. teach it and charge a bunch of money or make people feel like that's the only way to do it. Exactly. It's not, yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. And so it's like like the thing with cloud busting, you know, it's, it's something I hadn't thought about in 100 years. And I thought, you know, the other side prompted me to think, hey, what if we apply that to things like the coronavirus and things yeah. like that? So you take these things that we know work and we use them, you put them in a practical application and that's where the real nitty gritty works. That's where it happens. That's the kind of magic work that nobody wants to do, but it's the exactly stuff that right. you have to do. You that's have the to stuff do that, that you have to do. Well, it's not flamboyant. No. It doesn't gain you followers and it doesn't make you rich. <laughs> it's not cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it works and it's it works. important, you know, and, and that's what we need to be doing. There's a biblical tale. The king had some disease and he came to the prophet and uh, the prophet said, oh, go wash in the river and you'll be healed. And this was a notoriously dirty, nasty, dank river. And the king was like, how dare he? You know, <laughs> here I am. Don't you know I'm the king? Tell me to go wash in this filthy, nasty river. And so the, the king's aide or whatever, whoever was with him said, uh, yeah, but your majesty, look, if he had told you to do some grandiose, noble, grand thing, wouldn't you have done it to be healed? Yeah. But he tells you this, you know, go wash in the river and you're not willing to do that. You'll be healed. It's beneath your stature. It's beneath your status and your state. And it's beneath your ego. But you're going to get healed. Just go wash in the damn river. <laughs> you know, so a lot of us are wanting to do the big grand double thing. And we just need to go wash in the damn river. That's right. Maybe <laughs> that's the quote of the episode. Now I change yeah, my mind. Yeah. Go wash the damn river. river. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, John, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Always a good time. You're a light. You really are. You have a really oh, lovely. Your heart. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. You do. You have such a lovely energy. I've always felt like you're kind of a distant uncle. You know, you yep. have that kind of vibe for me. Well, thank you. Bless your heart. Thank you. We always have a good yeah. time. We and do. You're a delightful person, delightful host, delightful interviewer. And we'll do it again down the road. I'm sure we will. Put a yep. pin in it. And if you sure. figure out anything about that frequency, uh, you let me know. I will let you know. <laughs> and if I have a Bigfoot encounter and take a selfie, I'll send you a picture. I'm serious, John. I can keep a damn good secret. I can. So you let me know. I will. All right. See you, John. Take care. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Ooh, we just covered a lot of topics. I have to say it's the chunk of wood in the chili for me. He's had so many unique paranormal experiences, but that one, I don't know why it just got me. Like, can you even imagine you're just sitting there minding your own business, eating your chili, and all of a sudden a big chunk of wood lands in your bowl from where? Another dimension? I don't know. I have heard things like this happening before. In fact, in one of my previous episodes, Deadly Departed with Jock Brokus, he talks about things just manifesting in his hands from seemingly out of nowhere. That stuff blows my mind and all I can do is hope that it happens to me. I can honestly say I would love to have a paranormal chunk of wood land in my chili. 
Also, the Bigfoot situation. I know they have to keep it secret because humans are awful. This is why we can't have nice things, because humans suck, especially in groups. But I need to go to there ASAP. I really do. Wherever it is that this is happening, I need to go. Perhaps I'll try to manifest that somehow for myself. Let me give you a couple of post-chat notes. Number one, John mentions a few times that he wants something to hang his hat on, so to speak, regarding alien encounters. He wants to sit down with one and have a beer. And I just want to let y'all listeners know that I understand where John is coming from, because wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, most of us in these fields also want that very visceral, physical, tangible experience. But I also acknowledge that there's a huge body of evidence that shows a very high probability that aliens may not communicate with us in what we perceive as the, quote, physical world. And that means that impressions that we experience during, say, sleep paralysis, hypnosis, dream states, or even isolated internal visions during waking states could in fact be valid experiences and the most popular way for aliens to connect with us. And therefore, those experiences shouldn't be ignored entirely. John was definitely not saying that he was ignoring them, but I just want to double, double make sure that you all know that whatever experience you've had, whether it was in person or in your mind's eye, so to speak, it is absolutely valid and you are not crazy. Number two, when we talked about necromancy, I focused mostly on bringing beings literally back from the dead, like a dead body comes back to life, reanimates. But I just want to make sure that it's clear that necromancy also includes speaking with the dead after raising just their spirits. Believe it or not, though, people have been trying to literally raise bodies from the graves for hundreds of years, maybe longer. So let me know if you know anybody who has successfully done this, because I don't think it's been done, but you never know. You can check out everything that John is up to and book a reading with him at johnrussell.net. I've also added links to each of his books, Writing with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic, in the show notes. You can also follow him on social to get updates on his upcoming book, 20 Ways to Increase Your Psychic Abilities. Happy Samhain to my witches and pagans out there, and happy Halloween to those of you who celebrate. If you're doing rituals this weekend, make sure you're doing them safely. And if you have any contact with your ancestors or other spirits of the dead and you feel like sharing, email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. May you have the spookiest weekend in all the land. Bye! Thank you for following the Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, 
be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 